Being Reasonable now heard on WHUPLP, Hillsborough. Being Reasonable comes to you from the WHUP studios in downtown Hillsborough, North Carolina. Fasten your I'm Mark Solomon, and you are taking part in Being Reasonable, the weekly conversation show that focuses on how we've arrived on our steadfast views and our desire to know what is true. To participate in this friendly collaboration, all you need is respectfulness and an honest interest in the truth. We can all improve the way we form and consider our beliefs. And we can do so by being reasonable. One, two. On this week's show, we first speak with Reverend Marguerite Sorine of Hillsborough Presbyterian Church as she discusses her belief that God exists and is active in the human endeavor. Next, we speak with Pastor Angie Thompson of Palmer's Grove United Methodist Church as she discusses her belief that Jesus came and preached the primary theme to love one another. Finally, we speak with Drishta Das of New Goloka Temple as he discusses his belief related to Krishna consciousness. But first up, Reverend Marguerite Sarine of Hillsborough Presbyterian Church. Nice to meet you. Hi, Mark. Thanks for inviting me to be part of this. Uh, Do you happen to have a belief you wish to discuss? I I believe that God exists and is active in the the human endeavor. How did you come about this belief? A combination of things. Um, I was an atheist for 20 years. So I had a personal experience that kind of turned me around in, in which I experienced a, um, a sense of something much greater than, than me and my consciousness, and it had a transformative effect on me physically and psychologically, and my life was changed. And as a result of that change, I started uh, going after what the Presbyterians often refer to as faith-seeking understanding. What just happened? Not too often you hear someone who is an atheist and later is in charge of a church. It was a result of um, being in a, a relationship at work with somebody who probably embodied what most people, I think, w- would consider a Christ-like relation, relationship style with coworkers. All the coworkers that this person who had been raised Christian but was kind of experimenting with some, you know, Near Eastern Buddhist thought as well at the time, uh, everybody who worked with this person was affected. And, and I just had some particular um, wounds, I guess you would call. It was just the person for me to experience a healing, I guess I was ready. It was the time 
whatever. I can't explain mm-hmm. what happens, but it's very much in, in how Presbyterians think of God's activity in the world and that we can't bring it about. It's a gift, mm-hmm. and that's what we call grace. And so by that grace, um, I, w- I was entered into a world where my self-worth was elevated to where I had to change my worldview in order to accept it. I had two competing worldviews, my atheist worldview mm-hmm. and this other worldview. One mm-hmm. of them had to go. I see. Yeah. On a scale from one to seven, how confident are you in that your belief is true? Ah. What I love about being a Presbyterian mm-hmm. is probably the only way I could be a Christian. Okay. Because our theology bakes in the fact that we're not going to be 100% right about anything. Okay. So it's very confessional mm-hmm. in that respect and tries to set limits on what we can claim, mm-hmm. including what we can claim about God and truth. Okay. So I can say that I believe it and I have followed it, changed my whole life based on my belief. Mm-hmm. And I still hold the possibility that I might be wrong. Well, how about this question? Uh, On a scale from one to seven, how important is it to you in believing in things that are true? Well, uh, there is this line in Scripture, what is truth? So I'm always questioning. um, You know, somebody tells me something that happened, and I I know that that is the truth for them. I also know that somebody else who was part of what just happened would tell me a different story about it, and it would be equally true to them. It's just like we have four Gospels, and they're all different. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we say they're true, but in that act of saying they're true, we're talking about the human condition of, of having subjectivity of having ways that we our own filters and, and the way that we're either wired or, or experiences that have uh, predisposed us to think a certain way. And, and, you know, we accept that as also true, the, the truth on top of the truth mm-hmm. that, that lets us, you know, again, be Presbyterian and, and thinking, okay, I'm going to hold this loosely. I'm going to keep going, but I'm going to keep asking, keep seeking, because there's always something more to it. How did you come about knowing that your belief is true? Because I kept following and asking and seeing what happened. Okay, so for for instance, when after my big mm-hmm. <clears throat> event, when I was convinced God really did exist, I, I went to church to seek understanding about what just happened. And... Uh, then, uh, let's see, about six months after that, I lost my home, mm. uh, my first marriage, my job. I was laid off with the rest of my department mm. all in one day within the span of a few hours. All this happened. Right. So I lost everything. And uh, my first thing was to go to a church, even before I looked for a job, mm-hmm. to sort of um, center. And in that church, they started asking me not whether I wanted to go to seminary, but where I had gone to seminary as I, you know, became part of that community and, and were going to, to classes and, and discussing theology. So they convinced me I had some gifts for ministry, and I'm like, oh, that's the last thing I'm going to do. You know, clearly that's... Right. But, so I took a couple of classes at Duke to figure it out. 
I see. You see, so you just, mm-hmm. you keep asking. So, you know, you get this feedback as you go forward uh, right. ba- based on your belief. Right. And you keep listening and asking and, te- and not testing, but, you know, humbly walking into it, holding it loosely because you, you've got something wrong for sure. And, and you just hope that you'll find out what it is before you make too big a mistake. Anyway, long story short, um, I, I, you know, in my prayer life, told God, I'm not going to go to seminary if it's going to make me go into debt, because I'm too old for that. You know, I've had a career going in technical writing and RTP, and I'm like, I, I'm second career. I can't afford that. And I didn't really see how it was going to happen. Well, it happened. So, you know, when things like that sort of line up, the lights keep turning green, even when you really expect them to turn red, I, I think... You know, you just keep going. And if it's towards your greatest fear, you can be almost certain that's where you should be going. Yeah. Well, when people are threatened by other beliefs, what, why do you think that happens? If you really, you know, are trying to live by your know, belief, and I don't know, we all have varying degrees of consciousness about how we're doing that. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're staking your life on it. Like, I've staked my life. I've changed my whole life, my whole trajectory based on this belief. I see. I see. And, you know, people base their their decisions, who they right. marry, what they do for their work, uh, what the friends and community they choose. I mean, it's right. your ego is is all tied up in this. So, so you're saying if you have like a belief that starts at the pillars here, and then you've made all these decisions based on this, and then someone challenges that you have a lot of skin in the game a You're- lot the the jewish tradition has the wonderful story of samson pulling down the the temple i mean i i, I sort of you know you you even said used an architectural metaphor for right. that very much right. so um i mean that's certainly what happened to me where you know everything just kind of came tumbling fell, down came tumbling down right and and i think that you know that is a spiritual journey metaphor that yeah. Uh, most even you know the Eastern religions refer to, but the, you know in the Christian faith, uh, crucifixion, resurrection can be you know, not just think thought of in the bodily sense, but in in the you know those kinds of life experiences sense. And also, I do believe that we're not rational beings. Uh, we can't think our way out of it. So I mean, it's proven time and time again. Uh, that we do not let facts disturb our truth. And I think you, you know, just mentioned mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. You know, we'll just simply um, not accept it, find some reason. And I feel like that's the, you know, the irrational side of us that we're always... Why, why, it, do, why do you think that is, like we're not rational? I think thinking is really hard. It's, it's time-consuming, well, like in this faith and science series, that's yeah. really part of the reason we're having that series is to uh, get our membership comfortable with these kinds of conversations where they're going to be presented with a set of, of facts, a worldview from the scientific community that will um, will challenge and um, uh, it might threaten how they think of God and, and their faith. And um, I, I want them to be comfortable with that because our world demands it. 
I think a lot of people just throw up their hands and say it's just too hard and, and you know, either go one way, you know, I don't want to think about it anymore. Right. I, I've done my work. I believe this and nothing's going to change it. Right. That's the irrational part. I see. Which I understand. I mean, I, I don't want to judge. I, I'm saying we're all um, subject to that. That's That's the human condition, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and yeah. and a, a, I feel like a good faith practice, a good faith discipline is always calling into question your irrationality about what you believe. So the most important work we're doing here at, at, in the Presbyterian Church is not, you know, stomping on people and saying you have to believe this way. It's saying, okay, what do you believe? Well, what, what you know, why? And, and to explore that rather than just say, hey, you know. Make sure that you believe the way we say you do. So you're saying so to have faith is to question Absolutely. things you may believe. Ask, seek, and knock. You're listening to Being Reasonable on WHUP. Pastor Angie Thompson of Palmer's Grove United Methodist Church expresses her belief coming up Next. I don't want to get too religious, but Jesus came and his main theme was to love one another. And I think there are uh, multiple ways that we can do that. So the main belief that you wish to discuss is that Jesus came and he came to preach love. Right. On a scale from one to seven, how confident are you that this belief is true? I'm probably a six or a seven. And on a scale from one to seven, how important is it to you in believing in things that are true? Oh, Six or seven. Okay. Yes. How did you come about believing this and knowing that this is true? Um, just from, I guess, my faith and thinking that, um, you know, that was Jesus' main goal in the New Testament. Over and over and over, he, he says, love one another, love your neighbor as yourself, and love God above all. And by faith, what do we mean? Um, believing in something that... You can't physically grasp, but having that belief to, to know that something is true. So believing in something that is that you can't physically grasp, but knowing that is true. Right. How do we know that it's true? Um, I guess that's, that's really hard to, to answer that question, yeah. because faith is just something that you believe in. Um, I believe in God. I believe He exists. I believe He shows us every day that He exists. And there's also a faith that, um, you know, others have that deep inside them also. And that's why we we gather as a church community to come together because we believe in the same, um, we have the same beliefs, not necessarily the same faith, but we all believe that that God exists and that we are here to serve Him and to be His hands and feet. Here on Earth. Okay. Now you, um, so you mentioned that the belief you wish to discuss is that Jesus came to this Earth to preach love. Right. And so, tell me more what you mean by that. Well, if um, in each of his parables and the stories about Jesus, he comes and he doesn't go to the people that are in charge. He goes to the people that are on the sidelines. He goes to the people that are sinners, they're thieves, they're, they've done really bad things, they don't treat people well. He sees the people on the outskirts. 
And that, to me, shows um, that that's what really love is really about, is that it's not the people, the the high and mighty, the people in charge. It's not the the athletes. It's not the prom queen. It's the people on this on the sidelines, the people behind the scenes, the people that um, don't get all the recognition, but they're the ones behind the scenes doing the things, or they're the people that are on the outskirts of society, the ones that have done things that they shouldn't have done, and they maybe know that they. Um, shouldn't have done it, or sometimes they need to have somebody believe in them. There, there's the the term belief again. They need to have somebody believe in them to get down to the heart of the matter, to to find that trust in somebody or some people to really find out what is going on with them. Um, I know there are a lot of reformations in the prison system where people are um, realize what they have done and they seek out Jesus. And they they transform their lives. Um, so it's, so it sounds like Jesus is a, a transformative figure. That um, if he comes into your life, that he will increase the love in your life, and and right. and also do good things in your life. Um, if let's say someone is sitting next to you named Sandra, and she preaches Islam, mm-hmm. and would she be able to come to that? love with her religion like you have, or is that something that's more unique to Christianity? I think that each religion can come to that conclusion. Um, I don't I don't know a whole lot about other religions and what their beliefs and faiths are, but I do believe that uh, most of other religions do believe in one God or believe in what we call one God, our Father in Heaven. Um and I'd, I'd love to learn more about other religions to find out what their beliefs and uh, beliefs are to see what similarities we have. Since someone may presumably experience these things with a different religion, I'm wondering if there's a commonality between the religions that could be expressed. I, I believe there's a commonality. I believe that it's it's our God that the one that I believe in that has that is that common denominator in all religions. But I don't know necessarily if that's True or not, um, but in my beliefs and my faith, I know it's a God thing. I don't believe in coincidences. I believe in God incidences. God has his hand in every single thing that happens. And um, I I don't like the word coincidence because I know that God's behind it and he had the plan the whole time. How do do we know that? Uh, That's just my faith. I mean, that's, that's what I believe. Go back to your, so it'll go back to your faith. Absolutely, absolutely. But if someone wanted to believe like you believe, and let's say they didn't have the faith that you had, they mm-hmm. wanted like, well, can you tell me a reason, or, or is there a, something, a way I could know this, I could well, reliably I think, know this? Right. I think um, it goes back to reading the Bible and learning the Bible stories like some of us did as children. We learned the Bible stories. We I just preached on Zacchaeus last week about his faith being a short man, being a tax collector, being a despised person, but he wanted to get to know Jesus. So what did he do? He couldn't see over the crowd. The crowd wouldn't let him through because of who he was. So he climbs a tree so he could have a a visual of Jesus and find out more about him. And and he is the one that Jesus pointed out to in that crowd. And so I I believe it goes down to learning about Jesus. And, you know, our Jesus taught us in a way in parables and 
because that's the way humans learn. People learn by hearing a story, giving an example. Here's this example of this this little guy who had disadvantages in his life, and he goes up a tree just so he can have have sight of Jesus and lay eyes on Jesus and find out what he's all about. So Jesus tells us stories like this so we can understand it a lot better. Is reading the Bible, is that a reliable way to know that this particular belief is true? I think it is because, um, you know, way back when the, the Jews had the Torah, which is the Old Testament, and that was great to learn about God at the time. And then God sends Jesus down and Jesus teaches us a different way because the way of the Old Testament, um, people weren't getting it right. And they were still doing things that that God was not happy with. And so God's like, okay, I really need to teach them a lesson. So let me send my son down to tell them stories, to help him teach love and to love one another because we can't continue to have, although we still do, we can't continue to have all this um, hatred and bigotry and all kinds of bad things happening to each other. So let me send my son, the one that I love the most, and let him teach these people what love is all about. I wonder if you could help me with a thought experiment. Let's assume that the belief is true, and let's imagine that all the Bibles, for some reason, have disappeared. They're not around Mm -hmm. anymore. How could we then learn about this? What would we have to do to find out that this is true? We go back to the very beginning of what happened, how the Bible came about, because the Bible came about presumably when it was just um, word of mouth, ancestors telling their descendants the stories of the Bible, what happened. Um, If written word went away, we just go back to the very beginning where there was no written word. It's just word of mouth the stories and the histories coming down from generation to generation to generation. Do you believe that's a reliable way to know if something is true, stories from generation to generation? Well, there's going to be embellishment. You know, this person may be a better storyteller than the, than the next, so there, there will be embellishment. You've got to use what you have. And if, if all we have is the spoken word, that's what we start with. And then it gets transcribed out. It gets verified as much as possible. And then we publish another book. Obviously, I'm not saying this is the case, but if that faith was incorrect, how could we know it? How, do we, how would we be able to know if it wasn't right? Ooh, that's a hard question. I have, I have no idea. <laughs> um, you know, people's, people's faith, in certain things like people's faith in other people get smashed all the time because of things that happen. So, you know, presumably there are actions that could could somebody could cause somebody to lose their faith in something. Um and I, I think it's just how God works in somebody's life and restoring the faith. If you for some reason came to the conclusion that this faith wasn't true? Would your life change at all, or would you feel like you'd be the same person? Mm. I think it would change. I, I can't imagine um, 
not believing. If this, for some reason, were found to be not true, would you want to know it? I don't know that I would. I think I'd, I, I would like to live on my belief that there is, um, you know, there is heaven after we leave here where there's no pain, there's no worry, there's no heartbreak, there's, you know, our bodies are whole, we don't ache. We don't have, um, you know, terminal illnesses. Um, so I believe I, I want to keep that in in my thought process to, to go forward, that I really want to lean heavily on the, on the fact that one day I'll be reunited with all my loved ones that have gone before me. You are listening to Being Reasonable on WHUP. Drishta Das of New Galaka Temple is coming up after this short break. Suddenly, 
Hi, Drishta Das. Nice to meet you. Good to meet you, too. Do you happen to have a strong belief you wish to discuss? Well, um, I'd like to speak about uh, Krishna consciousness, okay. which is um, a form of uh, yoga based upon uh, love and devotion to God. In 1965, uh, our spiritual teacher, Guru, uh, named uh, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, came to America, and he started a mission, which was called, is called the Hare Krishna Movement, mm-hmm. or the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. Okay. And he was bringing an ancient system of yoga to the West, which teaches that um, perfection can be reached by chanting the names of God, and those names are the names people have heard us chant before, Hare Krishna, Hare mm-hmm. Krishna, mm-hmm. Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, mm-hmm. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So the belief, and uh, don't, I'm not trying to oversimplify this, and please let me know if I am, is, to, is that you can reach a level of perfection by uttering the name of God. Yes, that is the uh, essence of the belief, that through the na- uttering the name of God, uh, one purifies one's consciousness and can enter into relationship with God. Now, on a scale from one to seven, how confident are you in that this belief is true? Seven's 100%? Yes, 100%. Yeah, seven. Okay. <laughs> and on a scale from uh, one to seven, how important is it to you in believing in things that are true? Seven. Okay. How do you know your belief is true? Well, our beliefs are handed down from a long line of teachers. The, these teachers extend all the way back to first a, a personality named Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who is an incarnation of Krishna, who came, uh, who appeared in India around 1500. And then beyond Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, uh, they, uh, our teachers can be traced all the way back to the time of Krishna. So we uh, base everything upon the, the scriptures and the commentaries on the scriptures by realized personalities who understand the nature of God. So you uh, know that it's true that you have uh, scriptures that you rely on. Yes. And uh, it seems like there's an oral tradition, too, that I'm understanding. Yeah, the, it's an oral tradition that was put into writing uh, some 5,000 years ago, because at that time— the memories of the of the uh, people of this world became uh, so short mm-hmm. that uh, they need to write it down rather than just mem- uh, remember it. Although oral tradition still exists, is scripture or oral traditions? Do you believe is that a reliable way to know whether something is true? Well, everybody has to have someone to depend on for uh, the basis of their beliefs. Mm-hmm. If you're a lawyer, you're going to trace things back through the law to original court cases or maybe to English common law. If you're a doctor, you've got a line of uh, teachings that go back to uh, teachings that 
basically um, give you the understanding of how the human body works. So um, every religion, Christianity or Islam or or um, different branches of Hinduism, they all have to have uh, a line of teachers they they base things on. So we understand that uh, just as a Christian can base their uh, beliefs upon the teachings of Jesus and in the prophets before, uh, we base our teachings and our beliefs upon these great self-realized persons, knowing that uh, that what they've given us spiritually is the absolute truth. Now, I'm not saying this is the case, but if someone were to come in this room and say, look, Drishta, your belief isn't true because the scriptures are not correct here or the oral traditions are not correct here, would you still believe it? Uh, we would, of course, believe it because uh, we ha- we uh, would like to know how that person came, came to their beliefs. And we could discuss it with them and see what the, uh, how they came to their understandings. And there may be some uh, uh, differences of opinion within uh, the line of beliefs. However, the basic belief we would not be swayed from. So even if they could show you to your satisfaction that, no, the descriptions are correct like this, or the oral tr- traditions were handed down correctly or misinterpreted, you'd still believe in the fundamental tenet of the religion. The fundamental tenet wouldn't change just because one person um, uh, mis mis uh, copied some a word someplace or two words or four words. In fact, sometimes in our uh, commentaries of our uh, of our teachers, they'll even say, "Oh, by the way, there is another interpretation of this because uh, someone wrote this instead." And so we have those different interpretations, but the basic core belief uh, would 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 be the same. I'm not saying this is the case, but if someone could show you that there are changes in the in the scripture or oral tradition, what would you base your basic core belief on? Well, the basic core belief ultimately is, is that this is called a process of self-realization. So what we're being taught uh, is something that works upon our own consciousness. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like a recipe. Mm-hmm. If you have a recipe for a cake, maybe there's some variations. But if the variation, if your variation still makes a good cake, uh, that is a, that's a good recipe. So uh, we know that this isn't just some sort of um, uh, belief system that uh, is all intellectual. This is really a, a change of consciousness through the process of chanting the mantra and living our lives in a certain way, mm-hmm. so that um, we already have experience that it works and it's true. On personal experience, that we have absolute that. personal experience is true. Is personal experience a reliable way to know that something is true? Well, in and of itself, no. Uh, however, personal experience, when coupled with some checks and balances, we we know that uh, in uh, our our line of uh, of um, faith, mm-hmm. uh, we have checks and balances. So, if we have a personal experience of our relationship with God, it needs to check out with the teachings of our guru, mm-hmm. with the teachings of scripture, mm-hmm. and with the teachings of other persons who follow in our line. So um, yeah, everything is very, very, it's, it's rational and it's logical to an extent, but the, but the, but the experience is transrational. And because the experience is transrational, that means that if there are some discrepancies here and there, those aren't uh, those are not taken as very important. If your belief 
for some reason was not true, how would you know that it was not true? Is there a way you could find out that it was not true? Um, any belief can be shown to be true or not true by, by studying the persons who follow that belief. We know by following in the line of the great uh, self-realized persons mm -hmm. that our belief is true because we see the results in people. As a thought experiment, let's say Jerry, Jerry's sitting next to you. And Jerry, he's a Muslim and he practices Islam. And he says, I have personal experience that uh, Islam is true. I, I'm a Muslim. I, I follow great leaders that show that it's true. Yes. And he says sort of similar things about what you're saying about your religion. How would a third party observer be able to distinguish between the truth value of what Jerry believes and what you believe? Well, depending on the level of the third party, if they have, um, if, if from my point of view, we know everything Jerry says is true, because Jerry's following a bona fide religious process with teachers that go back to a point in time when there was a revealed truth coming from God. It's not that we are the only ones with the truth, and that the Christians, you know, it, it, we're not fundamentalists like this. Now, if a third-party person had an open mind and understood the essence of religion, which is to love God, uh, you know, whether I use an Apple computer or a, a PC or I may use a, a you know a, an iPhone or a Google device, it, it's when I how do I get onto the website that I want to get onto that matters. There may be a different system, so Jerry may be reusing a different operating system. But Jerry can be completely connected to God in his system, just as I'm connected to God in my system. So if that third-party person knows anything about the essence of God and religion, then they'll see there's no difference. Let's say Michael's sitting next to you, and Michael doesn't have any religion. Michael uh, is an atheist, and he says, uh, I've studied great people who are atheists, and I don't believe in God, and I know that it's true. I've had personal experience that it's true. How do we, would we at that point distinguish between the truth value of what Michael says and what you believe? Well, the truth value of what Michael says is based upon empiric knowledge and knowledge based on experimentation within the material world. And therefore, what Michael sees based upon his own empirical understanding of, of the world with, within the limits of material nature, uh, it's true. There isn't a God. You can't find God. You know, um, there was a story about uh, when the early cosmonauts went in outer space, they said, oh, there's no God there. Uh, we didn't see God. So the communists said in, Russia, in the Soviet Union, said, oh, see, there's no God. You can't see him. Well, you can't see God in this world. Uh, God is revealed in the heart through love and th or through meditation. So we, would, we could accept uh, Michael's point of view. We would say to Michael, though, you might want to examine other ways to uh, understand the truth, because if you only use your senses and you only use logic, you can never get to God, because God is beyond senses and beyond logic. If someone wanted to believe in your central tenet, that God can be more closely known by uh, repeating his name and, getting, and reaching a perfect State of consciousness. State of consciousness. How would you help that person believe in that? Well, it's very simple. What we do is we introduce people to the chanting. 
in different ways. That's one of the reasons why, before we started, we mentioned that we do we sing. We do something that was called kirtan. Mm-hmm. And kirtan is uh, is the chanting of God's name accompanied by instruments, or it can be done a cappello too. It, but it's a, a, a melodious way of chanting God's name. So we introduce people to that. And we also introduce people to uh, some basic scriptures, like the one basic scripture that we use, we, we read is called Bhagavad Gita, which is the sometimes called the Bible of the East or the Bible of India. And that contains instructions about linking with God through this mantra process. Mm-hmm. So that's how we would begin. We would introduce them to the sound vibration of the chanting of the mantra and then introduce them to some literature which teaches about that. So if someone wanted to believe in this, you would teach them about how mantras work and the literature yeah. and, the, and surrounding the belief. Right. If the belief was false, how could we know that it's false? How would we be able to know that? Is there a way we could find that out if it was false? A person might... Try to examine. Oh, I'll give you an example. This is out of the scripture. It's stated that a scientist could somehow count all the different uh, um, um, grains of sand on the earth. That's possible to count. It's inconceivable, but it's possible because there's a finite number of grains of sand. However, even though that scientist might be able to count the grains of sand, that scientist or a materialistically based person could never understand the full glories of God because they're unlimited. So from that point of view, it's impossible for us to teach someone that this is false because it's absolutely true. It is unfortunately for some people, in they're not going to be capable of understanding it because they still think that they have to use their own limited consciousness to understand the truth when the absolute truth god can't be understood with any of our senses because he's beyond our senses well if we're talking about that something that can't be understood is that a good reason to believe in that something you must uh, <laughs> for a per- for for a person for a person who doesn't have experience in what we uh that what we're doing then they can't understand. And give an example here, very simple. If I put a jar of honey before you, and uh, and for some reason you've never tasted honey before, uh, I can say, look at that jar of honey. Can you tell me what it tastes like? And uh, and uh, and you can say, well, I don't know. I've never experienced that. And then I can start describing to you honey, and I could talk about it's viscous, it's sweet. You would really have no way of understanding. But if I simply opened the jar up and said, stick your finger in, then taste it, no words necessary. Mm -hmm. So this is experiential. We are ultimately, um, as the scriptures state, we're not the body that we live in now. This body we live in now is a a vehicle for our soul uh, in this world. And therefore, um, it has a limited ability to understand the nature of the eternal world beyond the limits in this world. Mm-hmm. We're stuck in this world with, with very limited vision and understanding. What, what are the stakes for this belief for you? If, if, if this wasn't, and I'm not saying this is the case, of course, but if this belief was not true, how would your life, would your life change at all? Would it not change at any? Would you go about your, the world the same way or would you, or would you just well, life be a, different? Well, there's a couple ways we can answer this. 
first of all, we wouldn't change it at all because we're happy and we're healthy and we feel good. But um, we can uh, we can actually go to Blaise Pascal, and Blaise Pascal had Pascal's wager. Mm-hmm. Pascal said, mm-hmm. "You have uh, you have two you have, you have two you have the a theist and an atheist. God is, exists or God doesn't exist. So if you're a theist and you act in, in a way that uh, God that you're serving God and you're doing the things that would God would want. So if God exists, you're a big winner." And if God doesn't exist, at the time of death, um, as Mark Twain said when he was asked, he said, "Are you?" He was an atheist. Uh, Mister Twain, aren't you worried that you will never, you won't exist after death? He said, "Well, it didn't bother me before I was born." Uh, <laughs> so yeah. you're not a loser. Either you know, if you're following God's way of life and it's and it's a healthy way of living, you're a winner. With if there's God, and if there's no God, you're not a loser because it's it's there's nothing there. But if you if you don't follow God, if you're an atheist and God exists, you're a big loser. <laughs> if I'm understanding correctly, you're saying something a little bit different than Pascal's wager, because you're saying that you could not believe in God, but behave as if you did believe in God, even if you didn't believe in God. Well, what I'm saying is a believer in God will never lose, whether it's God or not, because because if God exists, then of course you win, and if God doesn't exist. There's no losing because everybody loses. Is that is that a good reason to believe in God? That's not the reason we believe in him. We reason we believe in him is that he exists and we're eternally his servant. And only our consciousness, which is separated by illusion, keeps us thinking that we're an American or a Russian or a man or a woman. It's a temporary amnesic state. We really need to get rid of the amnesia. And once again, enter into a relationship with God, which is eternal. It's like we're really we're we're, we're um, um, a minority here. Most of these of the souls in the universe are already united with God, and they're perfectly happy in union with God. It's the ones who decided for one reason or another that maybe they should just go off on their own and try to be happy without God that are here. Why after? Thousands of years, do you think we're no closer to agreeing which God may be real or which might be the best religious approach to reach God if you believe in God? What, what, why do you think that after so many years, we're just not doing so well at that? Well, most of us have ulterior motives for worshiping God. It's not pure. If we had pure motives for worshiping God, which would be simply, I worship God because God is good, He's all love, He's all He's He's all He's all positive, and my relationship with Him is the only thing that will make me happy. But most of us, many of us human beings, we're worshiping God in order to become wealthy or happy or to be better than that person, and therefore we have a lot of different opinions about which is the best way to worship. And the people are not really, uh, you know, the argument. Uh, of whether you know in uh, you know uh, the Muslims or the Jews are right, you know this gets down to politics, not into essence. Essence is we want to love God if we hit, if we uh, hit essence. Faith, uh, and I'm going to define it for in this case. Faith is the belief of something that we don't have evidence for. We certainly don't have direct evidence on the empiric level of anything that we see in our. In other words. We don't base our, our, our belief on empiric evidence. We know that the evidence for, the, uh, for God is 
uh, transcendental. It's uh, it is uh, it is beyond um, empiric uh, formula. That said, we also see different reasons in this world why God exists. I mean, you know, the the world we live in a planet which works pretty well until we started messing up the climate. It's been working for billions of years very very nicely the sun rises at the right time the uh the seasons come in order we see an order so that empiricism we see so we can we can understand that there is uh an intelligence behind the whole universe but when it comes to like really understanding the nature of god that's why we chant this mantra hari krishna mantra so that we can rise above the limits of our um of our senses and our logical mind and come to a place where we can directly perceive God through His grace. Well, Drishta, thank you so much. I really enjoy talking to people who have given this a lot of thought, and obviously you have. And as an added bonus, we are going to hear some beautiful music. What we're going to do here is a very uh, is a is a traditional chant. It is called uh, kirtan. And we'll begin with uh, uh, prayers to our guru and to uh, our great uh, teacher, uh, an incarnation of God, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And then we will finish with a short period of chanting the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra. And my beautiful wife is playing guitar, uh, Rudrani Devi Dasi. Nama Om
WHUP Studios in downtown Hillsboro, North Carolina, I'm Mark Solomon, and you've just listened to another episode of Being Reasonable. Questions? Thoughts? Connect with us at beingreasonableshow.com. See you next week.